Multnomah County Animal Services is facing mounting criticism that they're not doing enough to reunite lost pets with their owners or even taking proper care of the animals in their custody. So today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with OPB Weekend News Editor April Ehrlich. She's been following the troublesome accusations surrounding these tax-funded shelters, a warning that there will be talk of animal cruelty and neglect. It's Tuesday, March 7th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. April, could you give us a quick rundown of what's been happening at the county shelters? I'm just going to like start from the beginning, from when I started this project. So in December, a few volunteers with the shelter came into the Multnomah County Commissioner's meeting, and they were like, hey... People can't meet the animals right now, and so the shelter is really full. Um, please open up the adoption floor because people don't want to adopt a dog or a cat they haven't actually met before. Mm-hmm. And the shelter had basically been relying on this process of you look up an animal that you want, you apply for it, you go through adoption counseling, and then you adopt the animal, and then you go pick it up from a parking lot, and that's the first time you ever meet this animal. And they had been doing that since the start of the pandemic, so almost three years. So the kennels had gotten so full that by early January, the shelter management had to stop accepting strays. And that's kind of one of the key functions of an animal control district is to be a resource for stray animals. So the county commissioner chair, Jessica Vega Peterson, stepped in and, you know, she rallied the emergency management department to get the shelter, the staffing it needed to open its doors so people can actually meet pets. So a week after they stopped accepting strays, they um, opened up the adoption floor and a bunch of the kennels cleared out. But they're still not accepting many owner-relinquished animals. Like if you have an extra neighbor who's elderly and they, they die and they have a cat or a little dog, you can't take that to the shelter. I haven't been able to verify this, but I've heard people say that if it's a cat, they advise people to just let it go outside. What? Yeah. Just like become a feral stray cat because maybe they'll have more of a chance of getting fed by strangers? Well, if there's nowhere else to take it, what else do they do? Wow. And I mean, and also, is this supposed cat, is it neutered? Is it spayed? That's that's another thing that they're still not doing is neutering animals. That's part of the control. Exactly. That's part of the animal control. It's in the name. So yeah. If you've ever adopted a dog from a municipal shelter before, you'll know that they will not let you take home the animal without having it spayed or neutered first Mm -hmm. because their main mission is to control homeless animal populations. Mm -hmm. Well, Multnomah County Animal Shelter doesn't have a full-time veterinarian on staff. And because they don't have somebody around to do those surgeries regularly... They were having a backup, right? Like they have pets that are ready to go home. They're ready to be adopted, but they don't have the surgery yet. So they were sitting in the kennels for days, sometimes weeks. And, you know, every day that the animal is in the shelter, the more damaged it gets. Yeah, it's traumatized. It's not a healthy environment for an animal. So they need to get these animals out the door faster. So they were like, let's stop 
neutering them and spaying them. We'll just people can just take them home. Well, they, they give they're giving vouchers, right? That's what I was. That's what I heard is that they were walking away and they're like, "Here's your voucher," but now I have to trust you that you use this voucher to go get your animal spayed. Yeah, when I first heard about the voucher program, I thought it was like, "Oh, you're adopting a dog. They give you a coupon and you can just use right. it whenever." That's not the case because they can't just have everybody going to these veterinary clinics. There's only three of them in which that are participating in this program. So they, what they do is they they schedule them out. So people get their voucher weeks, months after they adopt the animal. Oh, so by then stuff could have happened. Another thing I heard in your story, which I was like, oh my God, is that they were allowing unspayed animals to go home together. Yeah. Like unspayed, unneutered animals. So that already is just like, mm, go forth and have a baby, you know? Yeah, they were knowingly adopting out a female German Shepherd puppy to a family that had an, an unaltered male German Shepherd dog at home. And they advised the people like, well, just keep them separate, which is basically impossible <laughs> when a dog is in heat. And I looked at the numbers for how many vouchers they've given out and how many have been actually used. And there were about 280 vouchers given out and only 11 have been used by like February, by mid-February. Wow. Yeah. That's that, that's less than 10%. Yeah. I did that math in my head. <laughs> I just want you to know that a producer did not send me that math. It was just boop. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I did the math for the radio script I did recently, and it was 4%. So it's even less than 10%. Okay. <laughs> You're correct. <laughs> April, I was so proud of myself. It's 4. <laughs> it's better than what I could have done. But I did it actually with a calculator. <laughs> Whatever. You know what? We're moving on. We're cutting that out. Julia, market. So I want to jump into your stories because I've been following them. And I feel like they have these just heartbreaking narratives that explain the issues that you're trying to illuminate. Your first story was highlighting that shelter protocol was not being followed. And you told it through the story of a dog named Mossberg, who was bordered by an owner who had to serve a short jail sentence. Could you kind of walk us through what happened? Yeah, that was Joe Chapeau. And I met him through one of his church mentors, Brian Ferris. And um, Brian Ferris and Joe Chapeau had pleaded with the shelter, please do not adopt out this dog. And the way Joe tells it, you know, somebody at the shelter said, no, we definitely won't adopt this dog out. We know he means a lot to you. You have anxiety and issues and, and he's your support system. We definitely won't adopt him out. But then they did. And they did follow their own policies in that they have a minimum amount of time that they're allowed to keep an animal before adopting it out. And that's six days. And they waited exactly six days. And then they put them up for adoption. They didn't make that clear to Brian or to Joe. They didn't say, you need to pick him up by this day or he'll be adopted out. Brian calls and he's like, hey, like this is all in county records. He calls and is like, hey, I'm ready to pick up this dog now. We found a place for him. The shelter's like, no, actually another family's picking him up. He's been adopted. And Brian is really upset. He's like, I don't understand why would you do this? And the shelter has a pol another policy. It's kind of a case-by-case -case basis where they can do emergency boarding for up to a month. But they never offered that to Joe. They never mentioned it to Joe or to Brian for whatever reason. And the executive director said, you know, she made this decision with the dog's own interests in mind because 
every day that an animal's in the shelter, the more trauma they experience. So she wanted to get the dog out the door faster. But it sounds like that wasn't communicated very clearly to Brian and to Joe. I'm going to read what Brian Ferris, you quoted him saying, because it, it, that's what stuck with me. He wrote, uh, the part that bothers me most right now is that the Multnomah County Animal Shelter doesn't follow the process that they've laid down because they have no regard for certain people. Uh, it seems to be very targeted to homeless people and transient people that are low income, basically stating that uh, maybe they're not being told everything because they don't want to deal with it. And part of me is like, I know they're, they're not bad people. You could just tell that they're overwhelmed and under-resourced. Yeah. But I heard from Brian is um, he works with a lot of people who are low income and, and homeless through a church in Gresham. I asked him, how does he know that the shelter is doing this regularly? And he said his experience with working with people who are homeless and people who are very low income is that people aren't treated equally at the shelter when they appear to be homeless. From my experience covering this topic for months, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of miscommunication at the shelter. And I've heard this from multiple people. Like, uh, I called somebody and they told me one thing and then I get there and they tell me something else. But it sounds like it may be the issue with staffing. You know, they have a lot of turnover. They have a lot of people who are new. They have a lot of people who are overworked, like you mentioned earlier. And when you have a situation like that, you get a lot of miscommunication. Right. There might be an erosion of trust between customers or people going through the shelter and then how they're running things. Let's take a break here. Uh, when we come back, let's dive into the possible puppy kidnapping an employee from one of these shelters almost got away with. You also, in your second article, pointed out that there's an erosion of trust within shelter staff and their management. And you kind of pointed that out through the adoption process for what was thought to be a stray Shibu Inu puppy, which, by the way, when is there a stray Shibu Inu puppy just walking around? That's like a two, $3,000 dog right there. Yes. And the shelter staff were very aware of that. There were multiple staff members interested in that puppy as soon as it came in. And the manager who was in charge of um, animal care, Dean Alexander, he immediately fostered that puppy, took him home. And from what I understand from what the staff who used to work there told me at that time, he was working really quickly to get that dog himself. Wow. And then he did. He adopted the dog. And then the owners found out that the dog was at the shelter. They came in and... What she told me was that they said, yes, we have this puppy. You can come in and get it. Bring your documents showing that you own this dog. So she shows up with the documents and suddenly they said, no, you can't come in. No, we don't have this dog anymore. What? And she was really sketched out. She told me that they were ignoring her emails and her phone calls. And at this point, other staff know what's happening and they are messaging her, the owner of the Shibu Inu, like, hey, we're trying really hard to get this dog back from this manager, Dean. Dang. <laughs> and so the boyfriend goes in, demands to speak to a manager. He speaks to the executive director at the time. And according to text messages, the manager was like, yeah, we're processing the documents now. Everything's fine. I hope you don't think anything sketchy is happening. Which, why would you say that? That's that's what that's like exactly what unsketchy people say all the time. <laughs> hey, hey, just so you know, I'm not being sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> 
which definitely raised some alarms for them. Um, For whatever reason, it took them like six days or something for them to process their paperwork to make sure that she really owned the Shiba Inu puppy and then they gave her back. But it sounded like it was a really big fight and it was... It, Which shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't be a... No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's not how that's supposed to work. Uh, yeah, you also wrote how staff have been leaving because they're just feeling disillusioned with how things are working. One example that you gave, which was like heartbreaking, was the dog who had this massive blood tumor. Um, so tell me what happened in that scenario. So that was from a, a volunteer they raised to that issue. So she emailed me and said, you know, they did a lot of stuff at the shelter to make it look nice. They put down some gravel, they put down toy boxes and stuff, but it all just kind of looks nice to the public. At the core, they're still not taking care of animals. Here, for example, is a dog with this massive tumor that it's just dragging along the ground. It's scabby, it's bleeding. I've begged for them to do something about this tumor. Uh, According to the documents I saw, a veterinarian had looked at the tumor, and so they determined it was benign, and so they're like, we're just going to leave this tumor. Uh, The volunteer came in and brought a scarf to, like, wrap up the tumor so it wasn't just dragging on the ground. And she did a whole public post about it, and she went to reporters with the story, and eventually the dog was able to get the tumor removed, and she is fine. I'm not sure if she was adopted out, but... um, So the tumor is taken care of, but it sounds like it didn't get taken care of until somebody made a big deal about it. Does this mean people should stop taking animals to the county shelters and maybe just bring them to, oh, you know, Oregon Humane Society? No. <laughs> well, I mean, if as far as like if you need to relinquish a dog or a cat and you want it to go to a good place and you have the funds and resources to be able to take it to a place like the Oregon Humane Society, by all means do that. Um, It does cost money to relinquish your dog or your cat to those organizations. Um, But as far as like, if you're looking to adopt an animal, I definitely don't think that you should avoid going to municipal shelters or to the Multnomah County Animal Shelter because those animals need homes just like the ones at the Humane Society. So I, I don't think that Anybody should boycott any animal shelter. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson calling for for some action. And one of the things she did call for was an audit because it was found that audits from previous years were not addressed. Um, so why didn't the county act sooner if they knew? I think that's something really worth noting, right? Je- yeah. Jessica Vega-Peterson has been a commissioner for years, Right. And she has heard the volunteers complain about conditions at the shelter for years. Mm -hmm. She started taking action as soon as she came into office as chair. But I think it's suspect that it's only happening now that it's become a big deal in the media. I don't know. I've asked this and they don't answer my question. They just say, we're doing this and it's great. Make sure to put that in your article. (laughs) (laughs) But I really think that they need to be held accountable for explaining why they waited until it became a big public media issue that they decided to start doing something. Wow. What what do you think that anyone uh, may be getting a little enraged right now? What is a good course of action for them? Like, how can they help out? So there's something in the second article I did. It's a new model of animal care where Shelters and the community are focused on providing resources to people so that they can keep their animals. Um, For instance, if you have a dog that's escaping all the time, 
maybe there should be a program that helps people. And I think there is a program that helps people install fences so that their dogs don't escape all the time. Or maybe they just don't have the resources to pay for a large medical bill. There's also a way to form communities that provide fosters for people like Joe Chapeau, who are experiencing a personal emergency. I do think that there's a way that we could provide resources to help each other so that animals don't end up in the shelter in the first place. Yeah. And uh, this, the service you, you're speaking about is, is Human Animal Support Services. And people can get to it by going to Human Animal Support Services, all one word, at .org. That's it. Well, thanks for the work that you do, April. I'd love to follow up with you and see how things change. And now for your microdose of news. A new report shows how hard it is for the average Portlander to buy a home right now. It estimates that a median-earning Portlander would need to work 92 hours a week to afford a median-priced home. Now, the study is from a moving company, Hire a Helper, and it combines data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics with the median home values of your city. And if you think that's bad, take a look at Ben. By the same math, you'll need to work a whopping 120 hours a week to buy a home there. And our legislature is looking into one unusual idea to help lessen the housing crunch. Like, what if we made it easier to turn empty office buildings into apartments? House Bill 29-84 would remove zoning change requirements and waive developers' fees if they make the conversions. In its current draft, the bill would create affordability requirements uh, such as income caps for those new homes, although lawmakers are debating that provision. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link into the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend or rate or leave us a review? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>